How many of you had a really nifty fight following last Sunday's sermon? Uh, we talked about bitterness uh, last week, and of course I've got that all down, uh, being the teacher um, on that. Uh, this, this week on, uh, I think it was Thursday night, Eleanor and I sat down for the evening and we kind of talked through some of the things I was going to be uh, talking about, and at one point she said, how come you have not forgiven... And I, I said, you are absolutely right. And we got on our knees right then and there, and I just... That's actually not what I did. I said, well, how come you haven't forgiven? (laughs) Back and forth, back and forth. This is hard. This is hard, real stuff. And it's like, please stop messing with my business. But there is something at stake here. At the very heart of Christianity is forgiveness. We are sitting here and we are are praying, we are worshiping God. How do we do that? Because we have one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did He do? He died on a cross to pay for every single one of my sins. Every one of them. All of them gone. All of them gone. You should be so grateful for that because I'm not sure you'd want to listen to me if you knew everything about me. God has forgiven you. We have been forgiven. We have been given grace. And so we are to be grace givers. It is who we are in Christ. We are forgivers. That is not an easy thing to do because we live in a messy world, don't we? And, and the forgiveness that we withhold, it's very easy to justify that because people hurt us. There are deep, awful, terrible hurts that take place. And as one sin is unforgiven, it gives place to another, which gives place to another, which gives place to another, and pretty soon, it's all very justifiable. At times, we forget why we're even mad at somebody. I just don't like them. Why don't you like them? I don't even remember, but I don't like them. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. Probably the clearest, most graphic illustration of bitterness being unchecked. I mentioned last week the country of Rwanda, uh, where I served for a short time. A circle of anger and bitterness took place in that country over hundreds of years so that there were waves of... uh, Genocide over years. Hundreds of thousands of people killed 20 years later. Hundreds of thousands of people killed. Back in 94, the same thing. Bitterness unchecked. Let me read you just a a quote from uh, a book called Rwanda, Walk Through Darkness into Light. Listen to this. Eyes burn with hate, fists are clenched as they enunciate a feeling that has been burning inside their mouths for months. They spit out their words. They killed my wife and children right here in front of me. 
They left me for dead. They walked away laughing. And you, for, you expect me to forgive them? A fist is raised as if making a pledge to the heavens. Never, never, never. The author writes, Reconciliation defined as restoration of friendship and harmony faces formidable barriers. As one survivor put it, too many people have been destroyed. The living cannot forget the dead even if they wanted to. We must live to repay. And who could argue with it? Who could argue with it? I, I know a man. I know a man named Kaitani who that happened to him, that very, that very thing. And how could I say to him, well, you just need to forgive. But listen to me. Because this has everything to do with our lives. At some point, someone has to say, enough. Enough. It's the only way it changes. When Jesus died on a cross, do you know what Jesus said? Enough. It is finished. It is finished. All paid for. Enough. Some of you live in families where there is a cycle of bitterness where people do not talk to each other. You have had friendships that have now gone by the wayside. You may have been a part of a church that you would no longer, and you wouldn't want to run into somebody at Target from that church either. At some point, somebody has to say enough, and it's got to be the church, because we're the ones who understand forgiveness. Do not get too far from the cross, because you start to forget. We start to forget who we are. You are holy. You are loved. You are pure. You are blessed. You are more than conquerors. You are in Christ. You are forgivers. That is who you are. But we forget. So today we're going to take a look at forgiveness. We're going to give you some very practical steps, but I'm going to tell you, if you listen today and you say, I understand that, and you go away and you do nothing, you are like the man that looks at himself in the mirror, sees who he is, and walks away and forgets who he is. And your lives will not change. But let me tell you something. If you will, if you will today say, enough. I am going to stop this. I am going to be the one that's going to forgive. He will change so many lives. God, I just pray that as we look into your word today, I pray that that you would break our hearts towards you, that you just overwhelm us with your love. While we were yet sinners, shaking our fist at you, you died for us. God, I just pray that you would um, pinpoint your word specifically to each one of us. God, I pray that you would pinpoint your word to me today, that I would hear it. I ask for the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the basis of forgiveness? The basis of forgiveness is Ephesians 4.32. We looked there last week. It's all over the place. You can't open this book without running smack dab into forgiveness. It's all over the place. But Ephesians 4.22 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The basis and power for forgiveness is in the hands of those who have been forgiven. 
Psalm 130, verse 3 says, Lord, if you kept a record of my wrongs, who could stand? Who could possibly stand? We have been given grace. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we want to understand how to pray. Tell us how to pray. And so he gave them the Lord's Prayer as a model of how to pray. And part of that is, God, forgive us our debts just as we forgive our debtors. In the very same way that we forgive, I want you to forgive me. And so what we are saying is measure it out in that way. And so I measure out my grace to the people who are around me. I, I measure it like this. Sometimes it's with one of those like elementary school rulers. I measure it out like that. But what do I want from God? I want the 25 foot, right? <laughs> I want grace. I need grace. I need what? Endless grace. That's what I need. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, the way that you should pray is, God, measure it out to me in the same way that I'm going to measure it out to other people. In the very same way. Go ahead and do that. People, I, I am kind of known, at least on the outside, as being a very gracious person. There's a reason for that. <laughs> I take this really seriously. I feel desperately in need of God's grace. So, holy cow, I am not going to withhold it from you. I got a few that I might. But. <laughs> Jesus goes on after that. And he says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And Jesus wasn't like kidding around there. Now, stop for a second. Let me... Let me tell you what he's not saying. What he's not saying is, if you don't forgive people, you're going to hell. That's it. I'm not going to forgive any of your sins. If you, how do we come to Christ? We come to Christ through faith, right? But there is a problem when we choose not to forgive. We have the consequences of that. When we choose to forgive, God does this huge freedom thing in our lives. But God will let us walk in unforgiveness to discipline us, to show us what it is like. And he will, he will allow us to have the consequences of that unforgiveness. And, and you know just what I'm talking about. You know it. You know what that feels like to not forgive. You know what that feels like to not be forgiven. It's a huge weight. Some of you today are going to be touched with the fact that you need to forgive yourself. You've done something that you've thought, you know what, Christianity works for everybody else, but I'm not too sure for me. <laughs> There's this thing. And, and I hope it is impressed on you today that God has forgiven you. God loves you right where you are at. And that, that not being able to forgive yourself may be hindering you from extending that forgiveness to someone else. Turn with me in your, I say in your Bibles, I guess your phones, I don't know what all you people do, but uh, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes there. <clears throat> Matthew 18, 21 through 35. So Peter, I love Peter, Peter, I very much relate to Peter, he's just kind of out there sort of 
bumbling along at times. Uh, but Peter has very good intentions, and he, he was dealing with these other bumpkins who just, you know, everybody's arguing about who's the greatest, who's the best, and they're stomping on each other's toes and tripping over each other, very real people. And Jesus came, uh, Peter came to Jesus and said, now how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now the rabbis would say that a number is three. After four, you, you should just stop forgiving the person because they just do not want to change. So three was a number. Peter doubled it, added one to it for good measure and said, how about seven? How many times should I forgive him? Seven times. And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Is Jesus saying, okay, on 78, that's the one. And some of you have counted that high and you are ready to not forgive. Um, No, that's not what it is. Of course, what he is saying there is, there is not a number on this, Peter. You need to forgive your brother. Let me tell you a story, Peter. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and a payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Have you ever done that to God? Have you ever been on your knees and just said, God, forgive me? And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the whole debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused And he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to you if you do not forgive from your heart. Let me grab just a couple of observations from that. First of all, there will come a day when God will settle accounts with us. There will be a a time when we will give an account for our lives. The debt that was owed here. Uh, is like $10 million in silver, never ever going to be paid. The picture is of some guy who was the tax collector over a whole bunch of different provinces, and somehow he ran through all of that money and didn't turn it into the king. He was ordered to pay the debt. Now, he could not pay this debt in any way. Even if he sold everything that he had, he couldn't pay the debt. So he asked for patience. But what he received was the payment made in full. 
paid in full. When Jesus says it is finished, that was, that was for you and that was for me. Paid in full. So he goes out, he's still stressed out over the whole thing, and he finds somebody who owes him what amounts to 100 days wages. And he walks up to him and he chokes him and says, pay back everything that you owe me. Give it back to me right now. And when he couldn't pay it back, he threw him in jail. Now, who did that affect? It affected everyone. When we choose not to forgive, everyone around noticed that. If you call yourself a believer in Christ, maybe you're the only one in your family. Maybe you're the only one at work. And people are, people are watching you. They may not seem like they are, but they're, they're watching you. And if you choose not to extend grace to another person, they're going to go, I'm not sure that that grace that they talk about is real. So it affected everyone around them. And so the king calls him in, and he says, pay me. now you are going to be responsible to pay what you owe. What did he owe? He owed grace. He owed grace. He refused. He, he did not extend that grace to that servant. And so... He was handed over to the torturers. It's the only time used in the New Testament. Handed over to the the torturers until he repaid all that he owed. You know what it feels like to not forgive. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about being cast into hell, God not forgiving us for our sins. What he's talking about is the effects of not forgiving. We are subject to that. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. Your unforgiveness affects your relationship with God. Your unforgiveness affects your own personal peace. Your unforgiveness affects your children as they watch you not be gracious. You are modeling, I am sorry. You are modeling, I forgive you. Have not always done that well in my life. God is not saying that this is easy. God is saying it's good and it's right and it works. I just want to tell you it works. It is a huge leap of faith. Scott, please stop talking about forgiveness. This is so uncomfortable. You're going to have to make a decision whether you are going to forgive the people that are coming to your mind today. You're going to have to make that decision and it's going to have to be a big change for you. I have a have a 24-year-old uh, son who has Fragile X Syndrome. Maybe you don't know what that is. He's severely autistic. He's nonverbal. And he's violent. Um, and this, this has been who he has been since he was a young kid as a result of a bunch of things I won't go into. Um, and so what the way that behaviorists have dealt with him, there's a point to this, what behaviorists have done to deal with him Uh, has been to try and manage the antecedents to his behavior. What's making him mad? What's making him upset? What's making him violent? If we can avoid all of those things, then his anger will not be turned into something that is violent. What's the problem with that? There's no way to manage all of those things. There's no way to stop all of those things from happening. So my wife, who is a lunatic, um, left her job... Six years ago, she inherited my 24-year-old son. When, when we got married, she was a project manager, and she said, I'm going to come home and project manage this kid. 
you're going to go back into ministry. You're going to go into hospital chaplaincy. And that's what I did. And so she took over his program. And her crazy idea was, let's present him with opportunities to learn. He gets hyper-aroused. That's his big thing. He gets just super-aroused, and that's when he gets violent. So that's the only time that he really learns to do something else. So she's like, let's present him with opportunities to get hyper-aroused, and then let's teach him to do something else in that time. So this has been going on the past several years uh, that she's been working with him there. So he's changed. This is a kid that never was supposed to do much, would never type, would never be able to do any sort of whatever. This, this past Father's Day, he typed, I love Dad on the iPad because his behaviors, he has replacement behaviors for the crummy stuff that he, that he does. Are you catching the connection between these two things? The, the thing is, you and I keep doing the same things over and over and over, and we need a replacement behavior. <laughs> we need to be able to do something different. And for some of us, that's going to be that's going to be to pray in that moment. That's going to be to pray for the person. That's going to be to to choose to remove ourselves from it. That is most definitely, though, going to mean to forgive. To forgive. To make the specific choice to forgive. Perhaps God is giving you lots of opportunities to test that out right now. Those are opportunities. Yeah, I would, I'd come home and Elle would have the hard hat on and I'm like, holy crap, what happened today? And she's like, we had a lot of opportunities. Jeez, <laughs> I don't like opportunities. Maybe God's given you opportunities today. Maybe that's where you are right now. Take them. Holy cow, take them. All right, let me tell you real quick what forgiveness does not mean. Okay? Oh, and incidentally, this is like a truckload of stuff. I have notes from last week, I have notes from this week, they're in back, okay? Versus specific steps, okay? Don't worry about writing everything down, both of you, okay? Um, what forgiveness does not mean? It's not forgetting. It's not, eh, just forget it. Um, God does not remember our sins against us anymore, Okay? It's not like God gets amnesia. No, he knows what I did four weeks ago. He does not hold that against me. And that's what, that's what forgiveness is. It's not impossible. God's telling us to do it, but it is a choice. It's not a feeling. You, you don't forgive somebody when you start feeling warm and fuzzy towards them because you will not forgive them if that is the case. It's not acting as if nothing happened. Hello? Not acting as if nothing happened. Husbands, raise your hands. I'm just kidding. It's not acting as if something... We don't want to talk about it. Let's stop talking about this, please. But you go through the hard work of talking about something, oh my goodness, what comes out the other side is really, really good. Um, I'm, I'm a carpenter, and I glue woods, wood together. If a piece of wood is broken... 
and you glue it back together, you clamp it up really good, you glue it back together, if you try and break it again, it's going to break somewhere else. It will not break in that place. When we fix stuff that has been broken, it's like fixed. It's a good thing. So don't be afraid of that. It's not getting the other person to repent. Forgiving people has nothing to do with the other person's response. This is between you and God. It was between the servant and the king. It's not condoning anyone's actions either. Somebody does something criminal, they have to pay for their actions. There are consequences for people's sin. And it's also, at times, and this is the exception, there are times when you have to move away from a situation. If every time someone comes in a room, they stomp on your foot, eventually you move your foot, right? You don't continue to put yourself in the way of something, but that that takes wisdom. And I think our list of the people who you just can't deal with anymore is probably a lot greater than God's list. And I want to say to you, God wants to do something really big and cool. And when he does it, how powerful that is when it's fixed. I got stories. I I won't bore you with them right now, but it is true. So... So how do you do this? I'm going to talk about steps to uprooting bitterness, all right? Stay with me. Where are we? All right, good. It is a specific choice. It is actually taking time. I know you go to church on Sundays. I know you put your hour in this week, all right? This is actually taking some time to specifically sit down and say, God, search my heart. I want to know, is there anybody that I have not forgiven? I, I have gone through this process with many, many people where I sat down with them and I say, okay, go ahead and take out a legal pad and I want you to jot down the names after we pray of the people who you have unforgiveness towards, the people who you, who you have not forgiven. Just write down names. Don't worry about stuff. Just names to begin with. Never met with a person. These are regular, normal people. Never met with a person that did not have legal pads of people. And then next to that name, you'll put just a word or phrase that has to do with what you need to forgive them about. We're talking hours here. What is at stake? What is at stake is your freedom. Your freedom in Christ. Who you are in Christ. Do you need to do this all the time? No, 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 no. But I don't know about you, but when people are coming over to visit, um, at least in the past, my wife runs a real tight ship now, but in the past, ages ago, the house was just like, disaster. So it was like, all hands on duck, clean everywhere, throw this in the closet, do all the... That's kind of what this is. This is the go-through house cleaning thing. You don't have to do that all the time, but it is a really good activity to go through. And there's still going to be like macaroni under the fridge. You're not going to get to everybody. Gosh, what a freeing tool. And especially in regards to a marriage. But you can't really do this like husband and wife. Get somebody else because that one's going to be on the list. Okay, So you're going to need to work through that with somebody who you can trust. So, 
Let me, and there is a handout related to this, but this is something like what you would pray. And there's not a magic formula. This is just biblical stuff. Heavenly Father, thank you for the riches of your kindness towards me. I thank you that your kindness has led me to repentance and I confess that I've not extended that same patience and kindness towards others who have offended me, but instead have harbored bitterness and resentment. And I pray during this time of self-evaluation, you would bring to mind those people that I have not forgiven that I may do so. I ask in the precious name of Jesus. And then, then the list begins. And you write out the list there. And you take your time. And if I'm praying with somebody, I'll say, God, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? And there usually is. Is there anyone else? All right. Things to remember as you're walking through it. Again, forgiving is not, uh, forgiving is not forgetting. But what you're choosing to do after you forgive this person is not to use that sin against them anymore. You can't say Remember when you did? No, no, no. Once you forgive this, you're going to live with the consequences of that sin. You're going to choose, and you're going to do that anyway. We live with the consequences of other people's sin, whether we forgive them or not. But you're going to choose to live with that. It's a choice. You can say, well, the hurt is too deep. Well, that bitterness continues to hurt you. This is putting an end to that. This is saying enough. That's what you're doing. Forgiveness, as pointed out in Matthew 18, must also be from the heart. Jesus said, this is how my Heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive from the heart. And so that involves actually getting at what is it about that, and that's where Eleanor was getting in my grill this week. Um, what, what was it about that, you know, that was so difficult? What was the feeling? What was the emotion? I don't know! You know, um, it's upsetting. <laughs> But when you get to the heart of it, you know why you need to forgive. I really love, she's stubborn. I really love that about her, though, because I can't just say to Eleanor, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because what she will follow that up with is, you're sorry for what? Oh, crud. (laughs) Was hoping this would be quick. (laughs) Then I start to think about what, what was it? Oh, uh how I made you feel. Same goes the other way. How, how is it that this made you feel? And sort of a byproduct of this is as you're praying through this, as you're thinking about this, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute. I had some responsibility in that. Huh. There's something I need to make right here too. Isn't God meek? So a sample prayer would be, Lord, when, just throw out a name, no, I won't, Uh, when so-and-so hurt me by blank, I felt incredibly, what, shamed, worthless, angry, but I choose to no longer carry that burden of bitterness. I forgive for causing me pain in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood. And I take back any ground that I may have given to Satan by harboring this resentment. Remember that passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 4? We choose not to forgive. We actually give Satan a place. So we're just going to stand against that. And I choose to never hold this offense against so-and-so. 
May they know the depths of the love of Christ and his incredible forgiveness. And then it's a wonderful thing to pray for that person. Maybe that person does not know Christ yet. And you can, in that moment, just pray that they would come to know Christ, that God would overwhelm them with his love for them and would change their heart. These are not imprecatory prayers. God rained down the fire of hell on them. These are the God work in this person's life that they would understand grace, that they would know you. And if it's a person who is a believer in Christ, that God would do something in their lives that would bless them, that would turn them, that would remove that stronghold in their life that's causing them to cause pain in others' lives. You can certainly pray that. Because a lot of us have been affected by just ancillary unforgiveness. You know, people around us being hurt. To pray for them specifically in that. What you don't say in the middle of that prayer is, Lord, help me to forgive. God is helping you to forgive. This is a choice. This is a choice. You are choosing right now to do that one by one. And it's not unusual to spend, again, a lot of time in doing this. I've talked to some of the leadership here, and I would make myself available to sit down and pray with people. Um, I want to pray with leadership here and, and help equip other people who feel like God is you know, touching you, that you want to sit down and pray with people as well. But it's got to be somebody who you trust. It's got to be somebody who's confidential. It's got to be somebody who will just listen to the Spirit of God and is not afraid to say, is there anything else, is there anything else, and just keep digging away at it. This is not the be-all, end-all thing, but it is a whale of a step in reconciliation. Just a whale of a step, and it is obedience to the Word of God. That's what it is. I want to close with one last... uh, Story. I always go running back to Rwanda for some reason. Um, but um, so uh, so that year in Rwanda was chaotic. Uh, but there was there was one place that I could go to for a little bit of respite. The America Club. There was an America Club in Kigali uh, where they had terrible pizza and terrible fries and a basketball hoop, and they also had satellite television where we could actually see like what was going on in the rest of the world. So it was like, ah, have to go and get my fix there. And I would go out and play basketball. I know a lot of you guys play basketball. In a pickup game in the parking lot there at the America Club with the other USAID workers that were there, and I'm the goofy missionary that's there playing with these guys, and there was this one guy in particular that was like the DeMarcus Cousins of USAID workers. He is just shoving me back and pushing me out. And just, don't you have people who are like, we're not back in high school again. What is going on here? And you're taking this way too seriously. Um, and he just ruined it for me every time this guy. I mean, we were, we were almost in, you must think I didn't do well in Rwanda. Anyways, we were almost in shoving matches in these, you know, just back and forth there. It was just crazy, but everybody was just completely stressed out. So April 3rd, 94, Easter Sunday in Rwanda, I preached my only sermon uh, at a church with a translator. And the night of April the 6th, the president of Rwanda and Brundy's plane was shot down about four miles from our house, crashed, and the war began. 
and like in our neighborhood. The war began there. Mortars in the yard, craziness. Very upsetting. Um, Saturday night, I finally get the wits about me, because we're cut off from everyone. I get the wits about me to turn on the radio and finally find BBC to hear on the radio that all of the Americans have now left the country. Um, we hadn't. And uh, that was upsetting. So there was some fervent prayer that went on throughout that night. And on Sunday morning, there was a lull in the action. And I won't go into all of it. Don't lose track of the point. Um, go to the airport, uh, which has been taken by the French. The French take our van, rip the doors off it, and go out to go get other French people. And we wait there and get on a French transport plane, fly to Burundi, which is also in war. And then United States Marines, may I take your bag for you, sir, come, and they fly us to Kenya. So completely shell-shocked. We don't know where anybody is. I, I don't know where anyone is at all at this point. Um, so we're being processed in the Kenya airport. And... Uh, there's a big glass wall, and we're standing in line waiting to, to meet with somebody. And on the other side of that wall are all these people that have already been processed. And I look over there, and standing there is DeMarcus Cousins. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I'm like, we both pointed to each other, got the biggest smiles on our face, and it was, I am so glad you are okay. Oh, I'm so glad you're okay. Folks, all this that we're going through down here, all this stuff, one day all this junk is all going to be over. All the war, all of this. And we are going to stand in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be pretty dang surprised that I'm standing there. You Calvinists, you probably got it all together. But I, I'm like, I'm going to be so grateful to be there. And you know what? I don't care who I see at that point. I'm going to be going, I am so thankful that you are here. Let us resolve to make it right here. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your love and mercy and your forgiveness. I thank you that you know us inside and out. You know every one of our stories. God, you know all of our yeah, buts and the things that we struggle with and our defense mechanisms. Those are nothing to you, God. I thank you that that you have good things for us. I thank you that in Christ we are more than conquerors. I thank you that, that you have done awesome things for us and that you've set us up to do awesome things in other people's lives as well. God, I just pray that you'd give us wisdom to know what to do going forward. Uh, we pray for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.